How does one go from sparring with Rob Whittaker, UFC champion, to becoming one of the hottest prospects on the Australian professional wrestling scene? What encourages a teacher to trade in blackboards for backbreakers? Just what happens when you walk in the door of the WWE as a prospect? And how has a braggadocious Australian gone down with the American crowd? I'm your host Joey Lynch and this is Beyond the Lead with WWE NXT 2.0 superstar Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller is the face of NXT 2.0. Or at least he says he is. It's his Twitter bio and everything. Born in Sydney, Waller is one of a new breed of Australian performers making their mark across the wrestling world. The 32-year-old rising to become a regular star player on NXT 2.0, doing his bit to show the old NXT guard the door as he did so, and even engaging in a series of pitched battles with the phenomenal AJ Styles across NXT 2.0 and WWE Raw. Speaking with ESPN's Adam Santarosa, the product of Sydney's Pro Wrestling Australia promotion, talked about his rise through the independence while juggling teaching and reality TV, just how a bombastic Aussie catches the eye of the WWE, what happens when you get to the Performance Centre in Orlando, and how Grayson Waller came to be Grayson Waller. But first, with his dog providing emotional support in the background, Waller recalled his unsuccessful attempt to capture the NXT 2.0 North American title from Carmelo Hayes at the Great American Bash. You know, I'd expect to be sitting here with the uh, Australian Championship. I was going to rename it here to talk to you today, but unfortunately, it didn't go that way. Uh, the positive is it wasn't my fault. I put in one hell of a performance. I don't think anyone expected me to go that close to being mellow. I knew. Uh, but Wesley decides to get in the way. Thanks a lot, Wes. Now I don't have the championship. Now I don't have the gold. Now I don't have the extra money. So I'm a little bit upset, but we will deal with that in the, uh, the next few weeks, I'll, I'll have a feeling. I want to jump into your, your WWE run a little bit uh, later in the chat, but uh, I want to reflect back on uh, your time before WWE briefly. Uh, it's something that something they mention in commentary quite a bit, and uh, I know you've got a, a bit of a background. A former training partner of, of UFC, a former UFC middleweight champ, Rob Whitaker. Can you take us through those times? Yeah, that was super early on for me. You know, when I was eighteen, um, had a bit of an incident on the streets one night in Sydney. I think everyone knows how Sydney can be sometimes. Um, you know, I was maybe 70 kilos if I was lucky then. Uh, so decided to get into MMA. Was always a huge UFC fan. So just saw it as like a, a way to have some fun, but also kind of learn to protect myself. Um, and Rob Whitaker was there on my first day. And, and he was about the same age. We had some kind of like mutual friends kind of thing, but he was very, very early on in his career. And uh, we trained together for a few years. Um, but even then, man, that guy's an absolute beast, like an absolute warrior. It was always wild to see, you know, I got to get in there in the cage with him a few times and he was just another level when it came to, to that side. Um, but somehow like the nicest dude ever too, which is very strange to see the switch where one moment he's trying to take your head off and the next moment he's sitting you down trying to give you some advice. You're talking about his family and whatever else. So uh, it was really cool to see, you know, where he is now, where I am now, and, and where we started, you know, all that time ago. Any ambitions to, to do 
MMA or was it simply just a training thing in the background? At times I, I did think about it, but for me, there was just something missing when I did it. You know, I trained really hard, um, but there was something missing and I never really knew what it was that my heart wasn't completely in it. And then when I started getting into wrestling, that's when I, it clicked. And I think there was just, I don't know where it's the performance aspect, the superstar aspect uh, of wrestling, that that was what I wanted to do. So um, there were times I thought about it, but that wasn't for me. And this was. And, and obviously you did your training with, with PWA uh, in Australia. What led you to, to make that decision and say, I'm going to commit to this. I, I, I want to do wrestling. Well, I got to, you know, I did a lot of things in my life. Um, I definitely lived the life, but I got to a stage where I was, I was always saying I wanted to be a wrestler, but for some reason I never like dove in and I got to a stage where I thought to myself, you either do it now and see what happens or you look back and go, I wish I had done it. And I never want to be someone who looks back at things in life and wishes I had tried it. Um, so I dove in and I looked up online, like where's the best place to train? Uh, and PWA, you know, Madison Eagles, top five women's wrestlers of all time. Some people might not know her because she's done a lot more independent stuff, but Madison Eagles is as good as it gets. And then Robbie Eagles, who recently, you know, is killing it in Japan, killing it all over the world. You know, he was the head coach there too. So as soon as I saw those two names, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly and I'm going to do it with the best. And PWA is the best in Australia. Now, you, you, uh, you're a teacher as well, uh, I'm led to believe, or you were a teacher. Uh, <laughs> people won't believe you, but it's true. I was a teacher, yes. Well, it's funny that, uh, you know, I'm, I actually have a teaching degree myself, but obviously work in the media. So it, it's, uh, we come from a similar sort of background, but I guess for you, what, what was the struggle in terms of, you know, chasing this dream, but then having that career as well? I guess you've, there's got to be a point in your life when you make that decision and go, I'm all in here. I'm just going to chase the dream. Yeah, it was, it was super tough. You know, um, I'm a smart man. So I knew with the way that wrestling works in Australia, I couldn't make a living doing it. I couldn't just do wrestling. There's maybe two people, three people in the whole country who make a living just doing wrestling. So like a lot of people in wrestlers in Australia, I have to have that job. And I always wanted to be a high school teacher. I loved history. I loved English, all those type of things. So my life was very, very busy. You know, I'd be up early going to the gym to then teach all day and then go back to the gym to train at night and then do shows on the weekend. So for a few years there, I didn't have downtime. Downtime didn't exist. I was either at work teaching or at work for the wrestling thing. But I knew in the back of my head, if I worked, there were going to be opportunities. And when there was an opportunity, I was going to be ready to go. Uh, but looking back, I'm very glad now that I can just focus on, on, on the wrestling. because This is what I wanted to do. This was my dream. And ideally, I would have been doing it just this earlier, but that's not how things worked out. So it's kind of nice to know that I had to put in that work and put in that time and effort to enjoy what I'm doing right now. Just uh, reflecting on that run for a moment with, with PWA, I mean, you, you were really, your time where I guess you were red hot in, in PWA, the scene itself in Australia and PWA in general was, was pretty red hot. Can you reflect on that time and, and what that run was like? Yeah, it was kind of like lightning in a bottle, you know, like the UK scene had very been very big for a while and then Australia started catching on. And lucky for me, that was kind of where my ascent was coming to and, we were selling our shows every month. Crowds were really, really into it. The talent in Australia has always been world-class, always. But there just hadn't been eyes on it. And then we started getting eyes on it and started, people started paying attention. People started going, what is this Australian stuff? Who are these guys? Wow. Um, 
because I think like the UK and the American scene, so many of them are being signed to different companies that they didn't have that level of talent on the independence that they used to. So they were looking for alternatives and Australia had it. And I think Australia still has it. So I'm very thankful that I was there at the right time where things were going so well. Cause I think uh, unfortunately with COVID and all those things kind of made things a little bit difficult and it's starting to, to fire back up. But uh, that kind of 2018 to 2020, time in, in Australian wrestling, especially PWA was was wild. And I loved every second of it. There's just, sometimes there's a different feel to independent wrestling. You know, I, I wrestled in front of thousands of people at Stand Deliver. That was the coolest moment of my life. It was incredible, but there is also something about that red hot three, 400 fans in a little arena, just loving every second of, of what we do. Well, PWA is red hot. Uh, Matty Wahlberg, who you were wrestling under at the time, was red hot. How does that then become, like, how do you get identified from, from WWE? Tell us how, how that journey came about. It's, it's kind of a wild thing, you know, because I think it was meant to be. Um, for those who know, I did Survivor. Uh, they did an All-Stars season straight after. I didn't get asked. And I was real annoyed because I know I'm an All-Star. Like, I'm, I'm TV gold. So I was real annoyed, but then PWA ended up having a tournament at the same time called the Coliseum Tournament, and it ran the weekend before WWE held an event on a Monday night in Sydney. So some of the scouts from WWE actually came to the PWA show. They were already in town. And once you see Grayson Waller in person, you, you know that you need me. And I think that's what happened. It was the, the first night of the tournament. I wrestled Chris Basso, an absolute legend the Australian scene and I think once they saw me they saw how I moved they saw how, how I talk how I carry myself how those fans react to me they knew they needed me um and it was basically because of that tournament I won the tournament as well got to stand there afterwards you know give a speech 20 minutes in front of everyone and I think they saw that I had superstar potential uh so it was very much right place right time the right people were there on the right night and then take us through the journey to WWE. You know, you, you, you go to the Performance Center. I imagine you, you've obviously been a fan of wrestling your, your entire life. What's it like to step into the Performance Center? You're working with guys like Shawn Michaels, Triple H, uh, you know, some legends of, of wrestling. It must must be a whirlwind that, that very first day when you arrived. Yeah, it's wild. Shawn, Shawn was the first guy I saw. We, we came in and I think it's because you see the PC on YouTube and on the network all the time, like you see it. But then being there, it's just like, it's very surreal. And I think the first two, three months being there, it's all surreal. It doesn't make sense. So when I first got there and I sat down and Sean Michaels walked in the room, you know, he just says hello and walks away. Like, it, it's very weird. It's very surreal. It doesn't make sense in a way. But now, you know, a year and a bit later, all these kind of people that I looked up to for so long and now... I guess, colleagues in a way, you know, they're mentors, they're coaches, whatever it is. And now I've built relationships with them that now I kind of see them differently. And I think it's in a positive way for sure. You know, someone like Fit Finley, who is an absolute legend, just getting to listen to him talk about what wrestling is. Same with Terry Taylor. You know, Terry Taylor was never someone that um, I necessarily thought I would have a close relationship with, but now I do. Um, and you kind of see these legends of wrestling in a different light. And I think it's a positive way because you see them as who they truly are. You know, there's always that never meet your heroes thing, but then you meet some of these guys and they're even better than you expect. And it's a beautiful thing. So I've been really lucky to get to become close to some absolute legends of the sport. At the national curriculum, we always say availability is the best ability. 
That's why the national curriculum is now available on ESPN wherever you get your podcasts. No ticker, Nick. No ticker. But what's life like in that PC when you first arrive? Obviously, you generally get repackaged in a way. You generally, you know, are a different character to some degree to what you were on the independence. Is it a case of just doing what you were doing that got you there or, or how does it work? Well, it's kind of a wild place, especially now. Like you walk in day one uh, as an independent wrestler, which isn't as common now, but at the time it was. And I walk in and Bron Breaker's there doing bench press. You know, Tony D'Angelo's doing squats. And these are just monster human beings, like so strong. They've been trained their whole life to be strong and athletic and all these kind of things. And I'm a former school teacher, reality star walking in from Australia, like, who is this kid? And I guess I took the mindset of I need to compete. Like, these are world-class athletes. I am too. And I had to rewire my brain to be more competitive with these kind of guys. Um, I knew that what I did before coming here was, was gold. I knew it was good. I knew I was talented and I just needed to show it. So especially early on when you get some of the first matches that you have and you have them at the performance center, you know, maybe just in front of the coaches and some of the other performers, I went all in. Um, Matty Wahlberg, who I was before I came out and I was Matty Wahlberg 100%. And I, I think a lot of people at the PC take six to 12 months to find their character, find who they are. I walked in day one, I knew who I was, which was a huge advantage for me. Um, so I think anyone who saw me beforehand, if they see Grayson Waller, they see it's Matty Wahlberg with a few slight tweaks. I don't think I've really changed much at all because as I've said before, I'm not a character, I'm just me. When I'm on camera, when I'm talking to you, it's the same person. That was gonna be my next question. How, how real is, is the arrogant Aussie Grayson Waller? I mean. And, and how have the Americans taken to the arrogant Aussie Grayson Waller? Like, it, it's pretty much as close as it gets. You know, I'm not the kind of guy, I'm not going to Publix to go to my grocery shopping and, and, and saying real rude things to the person checking my stuff out. That's not who it is. But I guess Grayson Waller, he says the things that everyone wishes they could. You know, I'm, I'm an honest person. I'm very confident in my own abilities. And the reason I am this way is because that's how I get in the right place mentally to be the best. I tell myself all the time I'm the best. So then when I walk out, I am the best. It's all, it's all positives, you know? And when I say bad things about my opponent, it's just to fire myself up. When I say rude things to the fans, it's just to fire myself up. And people don't like it. And especially with Americans, they do not understand sarcasm. The Australian sense of humor just goes over their head completely. So um, at times I think people, especially early on, were confused at the kind of person I am and, and maybe thought that the arrogant Aussie was 100% me and that I was not a great guy and all those type of things, which I was okay with. I don't care if you hate me, but I think the people who take the time to get to know me realise that that dry sense of humour and kind of that banter, as I call it, when we're going back and forth with your mates that you do in Australia, you know, I always say, my mates say horrendous stuff to my face, but will always say nice things behind my back. And that's kind of how I am too. Uh, I'm always about banner, joking around, but then I'll say the nice things behind your back. And I think that means a lot more. Quite an Australian crew uh, at and, and New Zealand crew in WWE at the moment. You, you, you're more or less taking over NXT. How, how are the, the Aussies faring in NXT? You know, it's, it's, it's great to have the, the Aussies around just because, you know, you, you move your whole life over here. Um, the time zones suck. Homesickness sucks. Like it, it can be tough at times to have some 
people from home here is 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 really great. You know, Indy Hartwell. Sometimes I love to hate her. Sometimes I hate to love her. Whatever it is, you know, she's she's a good mate, and being able to have her around, especially when you know um, she's had similar experiences to me, like that's a huge positive. You know, Duke Hudson, super rude dude. You know, just loves playing poker, but just having a fellow Australian there and having those connections is is extremely important. And then even like, like having Rhea, who's someone I've looked up to huge just because of she's done it all. She's been at Mania. She's been the champion. She has literally done it all. And she started in a similar place to me. So having someone like her doing the things that she does has opened the doors for someone like me to do the things that I'm going to do. I want to talk about your time in NXT so far. It's been quite the run. You've been you've been heavily featured uh, throughout, and and even uh, I want to touch on your 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 uh, time on Raw with AJ Styles, which was was certainly phenomenal. Uh, sum up this, I guess, eighteen months in WWE. You've done you've done quite a, quite a run so far. Yeah, I don't think anyone expected me to do what I did except me, uh, especially with you know I started out working on a show called Two Hundred Five Live. I was having bangers every week, but you know the the eyes just weren't on it that needed to be. Uh, and even when 2.0 started, I think you saw who was chosen for 2.0. You saw who they saw as their guys. Uh, and I sat in the background for a little bit, but I, I knew that the moment they gave me even an inch, once they gave me an inch, I was taking it. And the moment they gave me an opportunity, I ran with it. And I genuinely think that no one can touch me uh, once they gave me the ball. Uh, I didn't expect to be on Raw so quick. You know, I didn't expect to do war games so quick or have these championship matches or a ladder match stand deliver in, in Dallas in front of all these people. Those are all wild things that I probably couldn't have imagined, but I knew that if I got given an opportunity, I was going to take over. And I, I genuinely think I've taken over and I did it on my own accord. You know, I, I think I made it happen. They gave me the opportunity, but I, I made it happen. Can we expand on the, the AJ Styles uh, involvement, obviously on Raw? I mean, you, you get that chance. You've got a live mic on Raw. It's watched by millions around the world. Do you even think of that or is it just go? Well, my first experience being there, you know, it's all of a sudden you're in a ring with a mic on Monday Night Raw and it just it just happens in a, in a way. You don't really have that moment to, to think about what's happening, especially when you're performing, you know. I didn't really have time to look at how big the crowd was. I didn't have time to really bask the moment in. Um, I kind of just went out and did, and then later on sat back in the hotel and was like, wow, I was just on Monday Night Raw. Especially, you know, those days, are, TV days are, are crazy. You know, they're long, they're constantly moving, things are always happening. You really never have a moment to just sit and, and reflect or sit and think about what you're going to do. You just kind of got to be ready to go. Um, and they kind of just threw me out there in a way too. You know, I, I wasn't supposed to have the microphone that night, but then things kind of changed during the day and all of a sudden I did. And I just knew you put a microphone in my hands and it is, it is magic. There's something about, I don't know what it is. I can talk. And if you put a microphone in my hand, I'm going to make TV magic. So I'm very, very glad I got the opportunity to do that. And especially across from AJ Styles, who was someone that I was a huge fan of when I was a wrestling fan. Um, Going to be in there with him is wild. And sometimes I look at that photo and I think, you know, 10-year-old me would would be like, that makes no sense. You touched on it before. You, you, you're 12 months. Uh, the, the program with AJ, uh, Stand and Deliver, that ladder bump looked ridiculous, by the way, which I wanted to ask you about. Uh, and then War Games. It's been, you know, you, you, you've been heavily featured in everything. What's the goal of then for the next 12 months? I don't tend to like write specific goals. 
Um, and I don't tend to say them out loud. It's kind of something I keep to myself. But the main thing I want to do is I want to be the best. I didn't get into this to just be another guy. You know, I think a lot of people, if they'd had the career I've had so far in NXT, they'd be happy. And I think people at NXT are happy in their position they're in. They're happy to just be featured or they're happy to have a match every few weeks. I'm not. Like, I want everything. I, I gave my heart and soul to this business. So I want to get the most out of it. So my goal is to take over. If that means in NXT, that means I want the NXT championship. I want to pin Bron Breaker because no one's doing that. Uh, if that means in on Raw and SmackDown, I want to go out there and I want to be the best on the mic. I want to be the best in the ring. I want, I want to do it all. Um, so I have short-term goals. I have long-term goals. But the main thing is I am never happy. I'm never happy. You know, at Stand Deliver, that was a cool moment. I got to do it in front of my friends. All my family at home was watching. Had a huge, like, WrestleMania weekend moment. But that night, I was like, what's next? What's next? That's kind of the person I am. Like, I need to have drive. I need to have something to move forward to because otherwise I'm going to get stagnant and that's just not me. You mentioned before you're, uh, you're a little bit outspoken, you're brash. Uh, you, you don't mind extending the feuds on social media. Have you, uh, have you got yourself into any hot water with any of that? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm constantly in hot water. Um, that's kind of where I live. But the thing is with social media these days, you know, you kind of have to in a way. You have to have some type of personality online and whether that's you're funny, whether that's you're inspirational, you kind of got to find your niche. I'm really good at talking trash. You know, I say talking truth because everything I say is true, but that's kind of my niche. I say mean things about people. Um, some people have issues with it, you know, and the real ones come to me face to face and tell me they have an issue and we have a discussion about it. Other ones will talk behind my back and, and all that type of stuff. Either way, people are talking about me. Um, I think social media is a hugely important tool for any any professional wrestler it can find you an audience that was never there before and it can build to things you know like i don't want to just go out there and just have a match on tv that no one cares about there's no fun in that for me personally if i'm wrestling someone and i don't hate them it's not fun but when i go out there against mellow who used to be my boy and we've kind of had a bit of back and forth and we've been talking trash and then he steps in that ring and i'm like we're about to fight i love that that's why i do this I do this for that one moment where you're about to throw hands and you're like, this feels good. Um, so I do it partly for comedy because it's, it's funny, but I also do it partly to fire myself up so that when I stand across the ring from someone, like we're going to throw down and that's the, that's the best part of my week. Final question from me, uh, dream match, WWE or not, uh, what's a dream opponent for you? Ooh, dream match, see? That's a hard one because... A year ago, I would have said AJ Styles, but then all of a sudden, tick, um, that's off the board. Uh, I think someone that a lot of people have uh, mentioned as similar to me is, uh, um, is The Miz. Now, I don't know if that's me and him across from each other or that's me and him standing side by side, uh, but that's something I definitely think I need to tick off the list. As a huge challenge, real world fan, you know, that would be, that would be all time. And, I know he's got stuff going on with Logan Paul. Um, I have no problem slapping Logan Paul in the face. You know, he wants to walk in, all of a sudden he's the guy. I'm the guy. So whether it's across the, from the, the Miz or, or standing next to him, I think that's something I'd like to do. Well, we want to see it. Uh, looking forward to it, mate. You've had an amazing first, I guess, 18 months in WWE, and we look forward uh, to see what's to come, and, and all the Aussies are certainly on your side. For sure, Aussie, 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 brother.
undoubtedly a star on the rise. As you've just heard, all you need to do to find that out is ask him. You can keep up with Grayson Waller's exploits on NXT 2.0 and on the WWE Network. But for now, I'd like to thank you for joining us on another edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead, this time for a conversation between ESPN's Australia's Adam Santarosa and WWE NXT 2.0 superstar Grayson Waller. I've been your host, Joey Lynch, and as a reminder, you can catch this episode, every other episode of Beyond the Lead, and all of ESPN's collection of podcasts and audio goodness wherever you do so happen to get your potties from. If you're enjoying Beyond the Lead, or any other of ESPN's podcasts, be sure to subscribe, leave a famous five-star review, and help spread the word. Nonetheless, thanks for listening today, tomorrow, or whenever you happen to be tuning in, and do not fret, as I'll catch you soon for another deep dive into the world of sports, or sports entertainment, as ESPN takes you beyond the lead very soon.